You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Ruth. This series uses the book of Ruth to explore how God wields hopeless, difficult, and mundane situations in life to bring about hope, love, and redemption. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Well, today we're going to uh, continue our series in the, in the book of Ruth. It's just a very short little book. Um, and where we're going to pick up the story today is Naomi, uh, the two main characters, or there's three main characters, but the two main characters that we've heard of so far are Ruth and Naomi. And Naomi, we're going to look more at her life today. And she's 10 years removed from being from her hometown, Bethlehem. And things are not going well. Uh, her husband has died. And she's had uh, one son die and then another son die. So she has no more husband, uh, no more sons. And if you understand about how that culture works, it means uh, very economically depressed because of that. And so now she's heading back to her hometown in Bethlehem with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Both of them now widows, both of them feeling pretty much socially and economically marginalized. And it's not uh, a pretty scene And we're going to read about Naomi's response to a 10-year season of suffering. And so if you could turn with me to Ruth Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, if you can find a black Bible uh, somewhere underneath the chair, you may have to uh, arm wrestle your neighbor. But um, that's on page 222 in the black Bible. Okay, Ruth 1, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant or sweet. Call me Mara, which means bitter. For For the almighty God has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full... And the Lord has brought me back to empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me? And the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned. And Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her. Who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So things are not going well for Naomi. And she's... Uh, she's kind of letting, letting everyone uh, know about it. Uh, but if you've been reading Ruth all the way through each week, which just to say one of the ways that you can get the most out of this series and really the most out of the, the scriptures, I would just encourage you to read through the book of Ruth every week, just four little short uh, chapters to continue to you know, allow the scriptures to soak in there. Uh, but if you've been reading, if you've read all the way through, you know that there's a change of fortune coming for Naomi and Ruth. No, at the end of the book, Naomi uh, gets her uh, family name back. She gets her family land back. Her daughter-in-law, Ruth, meets this great guy named Boaz, and they get married, and she has this grandchild. Things are going so well for her by chapter 4 that her girlfriends say to her, you know, this girl, Ruth, is better to you than seven sons. One woman better than seven men. I mean, I've always had a hunch that um, women are better than men, but I didn't realize it was seven times better. But hey, you can't take the Bible literally, you know. You just, um, 
But today what I want to do just quickly is I just want to build out for us a theology of suffering. Uh, I want to build out for us a theology of suffering uh, through the life of, of Naomi. And so just a couple points here. Uh, number one, Christianity does not ensure a trouble-free life. Christianity does not ensure a, a trouble-free life. If you were to do a study of the New Testament, and I've done that several times, one of the themes that you would pick up very, very quickly, forget the Old Testament, just the New Testament, just look at the New Testament, one of the big themes is suffering. Uh, it's right up there with the best of them. It's right up there with miracles. It's right up there with uh, robust community or whatever it is that you like the most about the New Testament. Uh, suffering is a part of it. In fact, 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Sometimes we, when suffering comes our way, we're like, what's going on? Well, you know, you know this shouldn't be happening. And, and so what do we do as America? Well, we sue. This, somebody, somebody's fault. I shouldn't be suffering. Somebody needs to be, to be blamed for this. James 1, half-brother of Jesus, he says um, in verse 2 of his first, in the, uh, in the first chapter of his book, he says, count it all joy. Count it all joy. We, we run away from suffering. But he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That word various in the Greek means multicolored, multifaceted. Like there's, just, there's not just one kind of suffering. There's various kinds of suffering. So you, you get done with one kind of suffering. And then once that's over with, you, you enter another kind of suffering. And sometimes they overlap. Don't be surprised. Every week I look at our, the communication cards um, from various places and I, you know, they kind of collate them in an Excel so I could see it from all the places. Um, and I just hear report after report about people suffering in this church. Relational suffering, emotional suffering, physical suffering. Just in the last w- month, here's some of the suffering I've heard from this church. I- I'm out of work. My kidneys are failing. I'm experiencing panic attacks. I'm very worried about my daughter. I have a mass on my lung. I've miscarried again. Just, I mean, I could just go on and on. I'm just, you know, heartbroken over just the suffering that, that we experience. Not to mention the suffering in the world. And I mean, we could go on and on and on. It's, I mean, we have it very good. But our suffering in our context, our context is significant as well. And there's this subtle and sometimes no, not so subtle Christian myth that says if you're a good little boy or girl, then nothing bad will happen to you. And as Americans, uh, especially American Christians, we, we have come to expect dominance and prosperity. So I, I don't want to speak to the intentions of our founding fathers, but the res- I can speak to the result of 350 years of being a country and how Christianity has weaved its way into that is that it's led us to have a fundamental belief and an expectation is probably a better way of saying it, that I expect to be prosperous and I expect to be dominant. And when I don't feel dominant and when I don't feel prosperous, you know, somebody needs to be sued. Something's wrong. God must hate me. Just like Naomi. God's against me. 
And if this has seeped into your thinking, if this, this need for dominance and prosperity has seeped into your thinking, you're, you're going to have a difficult time making sense of Jesus and making sense of your life, especially in seasons of suffering. Uh, there's a more, there's a uh, less, uh, or excuse me, a more overt, less subtle teaching, sometimes called the prosperity gospel, that says that if you are experiencing suffering, it's either due to unrepentant sin or a lack of faith. And so if you're going through something of suffering, it means there's some sin in your life that you've not repented of. And so you've, you, you're like, you're bringing on suffering because of, of that sin. And that could happen. I think sinning causes suffering. Leads to death, actually. Or you've somehow lowered your faith shield. And so the fiery, arts of the enemy, the fiery darts of the enemy are, are making its way to you. Uh, but there's a fatal flaw in this line of thinking. And that there, is a, there was a sinless one who was full of faith. And his name starts with J, ends with S. And he lived perfectly. He lived sinlessly. And he was the epitome of faith. It says twice in John's gospel that he only did what he heard or saw the father doing. How many of us in the world could say that we only do, out of the faith, the strength of the faith that we have, we only do what we see and hear the Father telling us to do? Yet he is described in Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows familiar with suffering. I don't know if you guys ever watched the series Band of Brothers. There is an American soldier who goes to his captain because the captain was telling him to go and, and, and he said, uh, Captain! We're, but we're surrounded. And the captain replied, Soldier, we're Marines. We're supposed to be surrounded. And I think sometimes as Christians, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're going through life and God's telling us to do this and do this and do this and do this. And we're like, but God, we're suffering. I think God would want to say, hey, you're a Christian. You're meant to be surrounded by suffering. Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. And because I suffered, you will suffer. I took it on the chin. You're going to take it on the chin, is what he's saying. C.S. Lewis said, if you're looking for ease and comfort, try a bottle of port. Not Christianity. (laughs) Number two. A false expectation about suffering can lead to crushing disillusionment. Because Naomi here, she just doesn't say, hey, I've lost, I lost a husband, I've lost my sons, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing well here. But, he's, but she says, God is against me. Don't call me Naomi, don't call me pleasant, don't call me sweet, call me Mara. For I'm bitter and, and that God's hand is against me. And this is not unique. Uh, if you remember the story um, about the death of, of Lazarus, and as recorded in John 11, Martha just didn't just weep for the loss of her brother, but he comes, she comes to Jesus and says, Where were you? This is your fault. The disciples were once in a boat with Jesus, and a violent storm comes. And in the middle of the storm, they didn't just say, Hey, Jesus, you know, save us. We're in a storm. They say, Don't you care about us? The disciples, Naomi, Martha, that if we don't have this understanding of what our life will be like, 
and, and the suffering that we may go through. It may not just be that we suffer the circumstances, but we can get into this really dangerous place where that rolls into disillusionment, where we begin to deny the very nature and character of God, the only one who has the power and the wisdom to A, end our suffering, or to bring about an ultimate purpose through our suffering. So why does God allow it, allow suffering? Well, it, it's helpful to know that that we, we, live in a, we live in this present age, there, there is going to be suffering. There's going to be an age to come where there will be no suffering. It says he will wipe every tear. Uh, there'll be no death, no disease, none of that, no taxes, nothing. There'll just be, it'll, it'll just be total bliss, no suffering. But we don't live in that age left. We live in this age. And somehow, well, I'll get to that here in a second. So Paul says that we live in a perishable age. Um, the, the age to come is an imperishable age. We live in a mortal age. The age to come will be immortal. That saying in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 that death is swallowed up in victory will come true one day. But that's not the age that we live in. Now, uh, Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old order has passed away. And behold, a new order has come in. But we're still in the old order of things. There's a new order yet to come. Now, I believe uh, the scriptures with the best of them that say that we must pray, we must resist, we must cast out, we must bind, we must heal. In fact, let me just say that that should be our first response to suffering, to sick, to death, to suffering. We, we shouldn't come into these fatalistic Christians. We're just like, well, I'm suffering again. I guess I just better receive it. No, I believe that we should stand firm. I believe we should pray as Jesus taught us to pray. God, may your kingdom come to earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, there is no sickness. There is no death. There is no disease. And that we can pray for his kingdom to come to earth as it is in heaven. But we can also, that's our first response. Anytime anyone's sick, don't explain to them why they're suffering or why they are sick. The first response is, I, I want to pray for this. I want to resist this. I want to cast it. Because that's how Jesus taught us to pray. But we also sh- should understand that while we can pray that way, we, we want his kingdom to come. We, we want this old life to, to kind of to give birth to this new life. That we live in this age that where there will be suffering. There will be trials. And even if you are sick and you get miraculously healed, you, you know, you will die eventually. But why we suffer, part of why we suffer is that God, that it, it's meant to produce in us two things. One, it's meant to sever us, put a wedge between um, this world um, and the world that we're supposed to be anticipating. So it, God wants to divorce our passion and love for the things of this world, which are nice, but they don't compare to the life to come. And God wants to put a wedge between. So um, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so don't lose heart. So this is talking about suffering. Though our outer self is wasting away, we're suffering, we're sick. Our inner self, which means our not, our, not our physical body, is being renewed day by day for this light momentary affliction. What light momentary affliction is he talking about? Well, he was beaten to death five times. He was shipwrecked. He knew he starved. He, he went without. 
This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things uh, that are, that we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. So our focus aren't the things that we can taste, touch, smell. We are, we're looking to something that we can't see. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that we put our affections toward, a, a, a house, a, 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 you know, nice relationships and a big bank account and good food, those are all good things, but they are transient. They are here today and gone tomorrow. Uh, James says our life is like a mist. It's just, it's just there and it's gone. So we don't, we don't invest. So what God's trying to do, he doesn't want us to get over-invested in things that are transient, but things that are unseen, which are eternal. So suffering puts a wedge in our hearts between this world and the world to come. But it also, it brings, and it has a way of bringing, giving us a good uh, anticipation and actually glory in the world to come through our suffering. Romans 8. I think we have this on the screen. It says, if children of God, then heirs. If, if you're a child of God, that you are heirs. Heirs with who? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, let me just, let me just put that on us for a second. If you are a Christian here this morning, I know not everyone is, but if you are in Christ this morning, you are going to inherit everything one of these days. This isn't just words on paper. This is a reality that you, that we need to understand for us to uh, reign in this life, to persevere in this life through difficult times. You are going to inherit everything. What you stand, what I stand to inherit, what you stand to inherit makes what guys like Bill Gates have look like a dump. If you have jealousy over what anybody has in this life, you're crazy. You don't know what what the Bible says, what the Bible says that you have. You're going to inherit everything. If If you, we are heirs of God, if you are children of God, the verse before that, it says, it says that the Holy Spirit testifies that we're children of God. If you've got the Holy Spirit inside of you telling you, and you're a child of God. If you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you, you want to get rid of your sin, you want to pursue God. If that's true of you, you are, you are heirs with Christ and you are going to inherit everything. Everything. Provided, or if, we suffer with him in order that we also may glorify with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. Let me just give an example of this through my little sweet daughter, Josie. So uh, she's five, and a few weeks ago she had to get uh, some shots. You know, for, I don't know, whatever they give shots for. Um, <laughs> very attentive father um so she had to get these shots and so we we worked out, we, she was terrified of so we worked out this deal hey look if you um if you if you 
if you if you do the if you do this if you get these shots we're, we'll buy you uh, this My Little Pony thing I don't know Twilight Sparkle Sun Dust or something thing this this animal which is this My Little Pony is is heaven for my little Josie she I mean it's this it's this I mean she will, she breaks out in tears when she gets a new little My Little so this is heaven. This is, this is awesome. And so she was so excited. She was so excited to get this My Little Pony. She said, she said, this was, this, she got the shots, by the way, the day after we launched this church. She's like, Dad, are you excited about Monday? I'm like, don't you mean Sunday? She's like, no, Monday. <laughs> and I'm like, why Monday? She goes, because I'm going to get my shots. I'm so excited to get my shots. And I'm like, really? She's like, she's yeah, because I get my little, I get my little pony. And she had, w- what had happened is that her, her anticipation of, of this bliss that she would have for for weeks, months, or whatever to come, made this momentary pain in getting a shot seem like nothing. In fact, she even like rejoiced in it. She, she began to belittle it. She began to say, oh, it's just a pinch, Dad. It's just like getting a little pinch. It's nothing. It's nothing compared to the eternal weight of glory of Twilight Sparkle. <laughs> and that's what happens to us. That's what happens to us. When we, when we set our mind, it says, set your minds on things above and not on things of the earth, he's, Paul says in Colossians. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, look, the only chance that you have in this life as a believer to endure the suffering, like what's the point, is if you have your mind on what is eternal. If you, if you, if you maximize what you get out of this life, you'll minimize something um, uh, very, very uh, important. This heaven is just going to be Amazing. It's, whatever, the best of what we experience in this life is just a dim echo uh, of things to come. Of things to come. Number three, I'm just going to do this really quickly. Do not lose heart, for God will sustain you in seasons of suffering. I mean, maybe you're like, man, I could, if, I, if I experience... If I experience what Naomi, I couldn't cope. I mean, there are people in our church that are going through some very challenging diagnosis. People with cancer, kidney failure, MS. You think, if I was that, I couldn't cope. And, and, you, and you'd be right, you couldn't cope. On your own. But Jesus will sustain you. We have a resource in heaven that's amazing. And in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can read about this in Daniel, Daniel 3. They get thrown in the fiery furnace. And the, he, the, the Nebuchadnezzar put up so hot that even the people throwing him in the furnace were, were obliterated. But he got really frustrated because he, well, after he threw him in the, in the furnace, they, they, didn't, uh, they didn't incinerate. In fact, they were walking around like nothing, in the, in the middle of the fire, like nothing was happening. But he said, but, but didn't, we, didn't we put three men in there? Why are there four? And why does the fourth look like a son of one of the gods? Speaking of Jesus. Right there in the middle of the suffering. God doesn't serve you his best 
when you got your feet up on a Saturday afternoon watching sports. He has a way of, of, of bringing you just sweet comfort in the middle of suffering. Spurgeon says, those who dive into the sea of affliction come up with the rarest of pearls. Samuel Rutherford said this, I accept to be put in the cellars of suffering, for it is there that the king keeps his wine. Jesus said this in John 16. This is like a, this is like a suffering sandwich. He, uh, he puts good thing, bad thing, good thing, sandwiches together. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. So God wants to, he wants to bring peace into your life. He wants you to have peace. And then the middle it says, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Either in this situation, God, I pray that this cancer go and it's gone. Or in the life to come. If you over, if you overemphasize this life and what you can get out of this life, you're just, you're going to, you're just, you're not going to understand your suffering. You're going to live a miserable existence. You're going to be like Naomi. You're going to be like, oh, God is against me. And why is this happening to me? My life is not bitter. Or excuse me, my life is not sweet. It's bitter. I love what this old Romanian pastor said. He said, Christians are like nails. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. The harder you hit them, the deeper they go. Suffering doesn't have to be this thing that we avoid, but Jesus meets us uniquely in our suffering in ways that we can't experience the sweetness of Jesus outside of our suffering. My hope for Jubilee is that we would be these long, straight nails. So when life hammers us, and it does, that we would go deeper into him, that we would have a deeper relationship with him. Don't prematurely judge what your life is. You just don't know the end. You just don't know how things are going to work. Romans 8, the promise for us is that he works out all things for good. He works out all things for good. Uh, now, we have this, in our society, it, we, you know, we want things now. You know that Queen song, I want it all, I want it now. Um, the word secular, we have a sec- what's called a secular society. The Latin word for secular actually means now. We want what we want now. We want, we want our food now. We want our fun now. We want, our hap- we want, we want everything now. And, and if anything bad happens, it almost becomes unbearable to us. You need to have faith in your suffering that, when, that God's going to bring in an ultimate good. If you, if you would have saw these two, I mean, just... They were just socially marginalized. They were feeling economically marginalized. And I mean, who can blame them? They've lost everything. They've lost. But if you would have told me that one of these embittered women was going to be the future grandmother of the great King David, you would have, you would you're crazy. If you would have seen this guy in a multicolored coat in the bottom of a pit, being sold off to slavery and say, you know, one of these days he's going to be the prime minister of the greatest nation in the world. If you had been one of the disciples and you saw this Jesus of Nazareth on a bloodstained cross, breathing his last breath, pierced side, you said, this, this man is going to rule all the nations of the world of all times. You would have thought it was, you said, no, you're crazy. It's all over. But we just don't know the end. And the end of this book 
God, this is a great theme of Ruth, that God redeems it all. God has a purpose in it all. God brings glory in it all for us, for him. And I just would say, don't, don't lose heart. See it as Paul says. It's, it's, it's a light momentary affliction compared to the, to the eternal weight of glory that we will have. God will see us through. I love what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say. They say, they say, we will not bow. The reason why they got thrown in the fiery furnace is they, because they would not bow down to this king. They would not submit to the age that they lived in. They would not submit to the way everybody else did things. They said, we will not do this for our God will save us. But then they say, this is my favorite part. But even if he doesn't, we won't do that. And of course, God always comes through. We don't always know how, but he always does.